0: Chapter Fourteen of The Death Ship. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Death Ship by William Clark Russell. Chapter Fourteen My First Night in the Death Ship. I had been in too great a confusion of mind to heed the movements of the ship whilst I was under cover but on emerging i now noticed that it had come on to blow very fresh the vessel under larboard tacks i could not see what canvas she carried lay along very much being light and tall and rolled with peculiar clumsiness in the hollows i caught sight of the water over the weather-rail and judged with the eye of a seaman that what progress she was making was wholly leeway so that we were being blown dead to the eastward, without probably reaching, as it is termed, by so much as half a knot an hour. The moon was now deep in the west and showing a very wan and stormy disc. Northwest, where the land lay, the sea looked to rise into a fluid blackness of thunder clouds, wherefrom, even as I glanced to that way, there fell a red gash of lightning there was a heavy sound of seething and bombarding billows all about us and the whole picture had a wildness past language what with the scarlet glare of the northern Levin brands and the ghastly tempestuous paleness of the westering moon and a dingy faintness owing its existence to i know not what if it were not the light of the foaming multitudinous surge reflected upon the sooty bosoms of the lowering clouds over our stern captain vanderdecken stood for a moment looking round upon this warring scene and flung up his arms towards the moon with a passionate savage gesture and then strode to a narrow hatch betwixt the limits of the quarter-deck and the mainmast down which he went first turning to see if i followed i now found myself in a kind of decks with two cabins on either hand in the doorway of the fore one on the starboard side stood the man prins holding a small lantern this sir said vanderdecken pointing to the cabin must serve you for a sleeping-room it has not the comfort of an inn but tis easy to see you are a sailor and therefore one to whom a plank will often be a soft couch in any case here is accommodation warmer than the bottom of the ocean with a cold and condescending salute he withdrew prins hung the lantern on to a rail beside the door and said he would return for it shortly i wanted to ask the man some questions about the ship and her commander but there was something about him so scaring and odd that i could not summon up heart to address him he appeared as one in whom all qualities of the soul are dead acting in sooth like a sleepwalker, giving me not the least heed whatever and going about his business as mechanically as the skeleton in the cabin-clock rose and darted his lance to the chimes of the bell the compartment in which i was to sleep was empty of all furniture saving a locker that served as a seat as well as a box and a wooden sleeping-place formed of planks secured to the side in which in lieu of a mattress were a couple of stout blankets tolerably new and a sailor's bag filled with straw for a pillow i was wearied to the bone yet not sleepy and lay me down in my strange clothes without so much as removing my boots and in a few minutes prins arrived and took away the light and there i was in pitch darkness and yet i should not say this for though to be sure no sensible reflection penetrated the blackness yet when the lamp was removed and my eyes had lost the glare of it i beheld certain faint crawlings and swarmings of phosphoric light upon the beams and bulkheads such as were noticeable upon the outside of the ship only not so strong i likewise observed a cold and ancient smell such as i recollect once catching the breath of in the hold of a ship that had been built in seventeen o two and which people in the year seventeen ninety one or thereabouts viewed as a curiosity otherwise there was nothing else remarkable whatever this vessel might be her motion on the seas was as natural as that of the saracen only that her wallowing was more ponderous and ungainly yet merciful heaven how did every bulkhead groan how did every timber complain how did every tree-nail cry aloud the noise of the labouring was truly appalling the creaking straining jarring as though the whole fabric were being dashed to pieces i had not immediately noticed this when i followed captain vanderdecken below but it grew upon my ears as i lay in the blackness yet they were natural sounds and as such they afforded a sort of relief to my strained brain and nervous yea and affrighted imagination the stillness of a dead calm would have maddened me i truly believe phantasms and other horrors of my fancy rendered delirious by the situation into which i had been plunged would have played their parts upon that stage of blackness hideous with the vault-like stirring of the glow of rotted timber to the destruction of my intellect but for the homely thunder of the sea without and the crazy echoes within End of chapter fourteen recording by linda johnson